who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode 10 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Previously on Quarter Share. They'd get into the cyclical discussion where one would say something and the other would argue them around until they were both on opposite sides from their original positions and still not in agreement. Ship carries a discretionary fund account to permit the buying and selling of cargo goods on speculation in addition to entering into straight freight-for-hire contracts. The share amount in our pay really comes mostly from that. The more speculation we do, and of course the more it's successful, the bigger the share becomes. I appreciated dinner in a way that I seldom had experienced before. I felt like a grown-up. Chapter 17, Gugara Orbital, 2351, December 10. The next day I had the duty, and Pip was off. He got up with me when the duty watchstander came to wake me. I thought he was just being helpful, but he was getting an early jump on the day. So what's the status, I asked. Well, I looked around for cargoes all night last night on the station net, and I found some interesting things. I want to get over to the orbital as soon as I can and check them out. He hung around long enough to get a fresh coffee and one of Cookie's omelets. Then he headed off. No money this trip, he said with a chuckle. Cookie shouted after him, You be careful anyway. He grumbled, but he was smiling. Cookie and I spent a pleasant morning with the duty crew who came for breakfast. He showed me his tricks for making perfect omelets. The key seemed to be in using the correct amount of water in the egg, and he placed a great deal of emphasis on mixing up the egg and water until the result was a very precise shade of yellow. No, no, young Ishmael, he scolded me over and over. Use the fork like a whisk, not a bat. You need to mix the eggs with air to get the correct color. You're not stirring porridge. Eventually I got the hang of it. Very good, he said at last. You could be an excellent cook if you applied yourself. He set the yeast breads rising while I served omelets after that. After we cleared up from breakfast, I asked, How's the stores trading coming? He smiled. Quite well, quite well. Pip and I have placed our orders, and we've found several excellent deals. Did you get the Sarabanda Dark you were hoping for? Oh, yes, and some lovely frozen beefalo at a very nice price. 
The profit from the frozen fish was not quite what we projected, but that's also to be expected. All told, it was a very good first trial, he said. So you're pleased, I asked. He smiled and nodded, and then waved me out of the galley. Go, scamper, I need some peace and quiet in which to make pie crust. I went back to the birthing area and crawled into my bunk. It was only mid-morning, but I'd been up late the night before, and I fell asleep almost instantly. About a stand later I awoke, and Pip said, Hi, from across the aisle. You must have had a rough night. No, it was lovely, I said, but it was later than I'm used to, and I just felt like a nap. What's up? Did you see the cargoes you were looking for? Pip nodded. I did. I'm just trying to figure out what to do about them. Them? I asked. Pip nodded again. Rugs, he said. Here on Gugara they have a small specialty market and things you can make out of beefalo, besides meat. One thing is a heavy robe. Another is a decorative rug. I met a dealer this morning, and the stuff is beautiful. The robes are really nice. More like a long leather coat with fur trim. The rugs are roughly animal-shaped, but well done. Personally, I think they're kind of tacky, but who am I to say? He held up his tablet and showed me some digitals. I took these this morning. Hmm, I see what you mean, I said, but what makes you think these would sell in Marguerite? Most of the people in the system live in hollow rocks. Over the Staniers, they've hollowed out hundreds of them. If you're well off, you have your own rock. If not, or if you just don't care about that kind of thing, you live in one of the habitats, but they're all rock. You're painting a picture of cavemen in space, I commented. Pip chuckled, well, it's not quite that bad. The first stage is mining. They tunnel into the rock and install a lock first. Then they mine it from the inside out. It's not like all these guys are crawling around in low-grav or no-grav asteroids with EVA suits and pickaxes. They seal the tunnels against air and water seepage as they go. After the asteroid's been exhausted for mining, they strip out the mining gear, and the mining company makes them available to the Marguerite Station Authority for disposition. MSA cleans them up, carves out apartments, and lays down a slightly better grade of sealant. They install ship-grade power plants, environmental processing, and gravity flooring. When they're ready, MSA rents them out as flats to the miners, prospectors, foundry workers, and shipyard crew. All right, I'm getting the picture, I said, but beefalo robes? I'm not too sure about the robes. Inside the rock, it's like being aboard ship, constant temperature and all. I visited there before, and if you don't know you were in a rock, you might think you were shipboard. I'm thinking about the rugs. I looked around the birthing area and tried to imagine a beefalo rug. Why rugs? Psychology, Pip replied. Everybody knows they're living in a rock. Rocks are cold, hard, and sterile, at least in your mind. You said it yourself, caveman in space. I'm looking for something that'll relieve that feeling. The rugs are soft, warm, and oddly comforting. What's the problem? Mass and expense, Pip said. We can't afford them. My tablet bipped then to remind me I needed to get up to the galley. Back to work for me, I told him. Let me know if you have any brain flashes. Pip nodded distractedly. I got on with lunch duty. As usual for portside lunch mess, it was mostly soup and sandwiches set up buffet style. There weren't enough people to warrant setting up a serving line. The crew mostly drifted in and out in pairs and triples. A lot of them loaded a tray and took it back to their stations. Brillo came in and we sat together while she ate her soup. Thanks again, I told her. Last night was so much fun, and Maurice knows how to make a guest feel welcome. She laughed. Yeah, he's a dear. I met him ten years ago. She dunked a chunk of bread in her soup and delicately chewed off the wet edge. Mmm, that's not terribly good manners, but it reminds me of home, she said. I chuckled. No need to stand on ceremony here. We're all family. So how's the trading going, she asked. Which trading? She giggled a little. You got more than one? I nodded. There's the Pip and Ish pool. Pip's trying to show me how this works. So far, I'm mostly just holding his coat and watching from the sidelines. 
She nodded sympathetically. Then there's the ship's stores deal, I continued. Yeah, she said, I heard about those. All the extra supplies on the dock attracted a bit of attention in Sarbat, and that pallet of Sarabanda dock waiting outside looks very interesting. Oh, good, it's here? She nodded. Then there's the empty container, I continued. Empty container? Yeah, it's kind of a long story, but the basic plot is that Mr. Maxwell assigned Pip an exercise in cargo trading by asking him to put together a manifest for the Gugar to Marguerite run on a hypothetical empty container. They've run the exercise with several permutations, and the latest is a fixed budget starting point of ten kilocreds, and he's looking for the maximum return on that budget. Sounds like an interesting story, Brillo said. Is there a punchline? Lois's manifest lists one empty container on the run to Marguerite, I commented in what I hoped was an offhand manner. Brillo blinked for a tick. Oh, my, she said. Indeed. Her tablet pipped, and she stood. Well, time to get back to work. Gregor and I are swapping the sludge pools today. You want to come help? I would, I said, but I'm on duty here. She laughed. Yeah, I can see where that would be a problem. You're so busy in port, she said dryly, pointedly looking around at the practically empty mess deck. Actually, I told her, I'd really like to come down and see how it works. I was in the engineman exam, but I've only got the theory, you know? She nodded. That'll change soon enough. Let me leave you with two words of advice for when you have to do sludge yourself. I looked up, interested. Mint soap. We laughed as we went about our respective duties. While I was straightening out after lunch, Pip came slouching in and settled on the portable. He was frowning in concentration and seemed upset about something. Problems, I asked. He shook his head. Not really. I just cannot get a handle on a cargo for you and I. The stores trading for Marguerite are in good shape, although I still have some money and mass available in the empty container problem. Is it still empty, I asked. He nodded. This looks like a dry run to me. No changes to manifest have been filed. That's kind of a relief, isn't it? I asked him. He nodded distractedly. Yeah, he said. But he didn't offer any more. I served him a bowl of soup from the kettle before recycling the rest and threw a couple chunks of bread on the plate. Coffee? he asked distractedly. Anything else, sir? I teased him. He shook himself. I'm sorry. He laughed at himself. I get so wrapped up I forget. I sat the mug of coffee beside his food and laughed with him. It's okay. I was going that way. I finished my clean-up and went for a run. I had the whole gym to myself. The sauna was empty, too. As much as I liked the crew, having the place to myself was strangely satisfying. I hadn't realized how tense I was until this odd feeling had begun at dinner with Brillo, Diane, and Francis, and continued throughout the day. Sitting in the sauna, feeling the long muscles in my back and legs begin to unwind, I finally recognized it. I was relaxing. It felt good. Next morning, Pip had the duty. But I felt a bit, I don't know, left out when Ron Cham came down to wake him, so I tagged along. The breakfast set up in the galley was probably my favorite time of the day. Everything was clean and fresh, and the smells of coffee, yeast, bacon, and eggs hooked to something inside me that I couldn't really describe. The smell of coffee always said morning to me. Growing up, we'd not had a tradition of bacon and eggs in my house, but I could see myself getting used to it. I kibitzed while Cookie and Pip played with omelets, and I let Pip practice on me. Somehow I'd thought Cookie had taught him how to do it long since, but apparently that was a misguided assumption on my part. His omelet was good, filled with cheese and meat and thin slices of onion. Cookie asked me, are you going to spend your whole day here in the galley? I shook my head. No, I'm going to head out and do some sightseeing, but I'm feeling lazy and I'm in no hurry. He smiled. Young Ishmael, he said, you are anything but lazy. You've earned your break. Go, take it. Then he grinned. Pip can make coffee today. We all laughed at that, and I headed down to the berthing to put on my civvies. As I was leaving the ship, I met Beverly at the lock. 
Hey, Bunky, I called. Where are you headed? She smiled. Hi, Ish. I'm going shopping. You? I shrugged. Dunno. Sightseeing, mostly. It's my first time on an orbital other than Naris. I went out with some of the environmental crew for dinner last night, but I thought I'd go for a stroll today. She gave me a, well, come on, gesture, and said, I'm heading up to level nine to the flea market. Come with me. She lowered her voice a tad and said, After Darbot, I'm not keen on just wandering around alone, you know? That surprised me. Bev is about a meter and three quarters of pure menace. She keeps her hair cropped like most of us, but unlike the other women aboard, hers was cut in a military crew cut, and not one of the more feminine styles. She sported tattoos on most of her body, and had piercings that made me wince just looking at them. In her ship suit she looked dangerous enough, but in her civvies, black leather pants, a black leather jacket, heavy black leather boots, and what looked like a pullover made of aluminum plates, I thought only an idiot would mess with her. And it wasn't all show, either. In the gym I'd seen her working through some martial arts drills and sparring with the crew. She even moved like she was dangerous. Very smooth, very aware, very centered. And she wanted me, eighty kilos of coward, to watch her back. Go figure. But they say there's safety in numbers, and I felt pretty safe with her. Sure, I've never been to the flea market. We left the ship, and she asked me, Never? There's a flea on every orbital. I shrugged. I always went with my mother, and she was more focused on the mainstream shops and the cube sellers. It was a treat for us to go up to Neris Orbital, and we didn't get to do it that often. When we did, we spent a lot of time just gawking. She kind of looked down on the flea market. Bev shrugged. Well, everybody's allowed their own opinion, she said, but if you're going to be a trader, the flea market is your friend. Really? I was surprised Pip had never mentioned the flea market. Why? She said, you'll see, and just grinned, which was kind of a scary thing. But I forced myself to remember, this was the woman who slept under me every night. We didn't take the scenic route up to the various levels. Bev led me straight to the lift, and we took it all the way to level nine. When we stepped off the list, I stepped into a maelstrom of sound and color. Almost the whole deck was one big open bay. It was carved up into aisles, and each aisle was lined with stalls where people were buying and selling. The booths consisted of everything from prefab spaces with pseudo-walls and glazed displays to one couple with a stack of orange storage cubes and a few people who simply spread blankets on the deck and laid out handcrafted jewelry or clothing items. They were all jumbled together, and even at this early stand, ship and orbital time were almost in sync here. The place was crawling with people. I was glad to be with Beverly. Somehow a space seemed to open up around her as she moved through the throngs. I saw other people being jostled periodically, but nobody jostled Beverly, and I rode happily in her bubble. If the nearest flea market was like this, I can see why my mother, fifty kilos and barely a meter and a quarter, would want to avoid it. I wasn't sure that I'd want to come here alone. Beverly happily wandered up one aisle and down another, occasionally exchanging words and sometimes good-natured insults with the vendors. I marveled at the array of goods and just tried to keep up. Clothing seemed to be a popular item. I saw obviously handcrafted garments that had been created from whole cloth, as it were, to what were obviously purchased articles embellished with punchwork or embroidery and even rivets. Beverly spent some time there looking at a red leather jacket with an elaborate dragon picked out in what looked like black steel rivets across the back. The thing looked stunning on her, but she put it back on the rack, and we left it. Nice work, but the red draws attention I don't want, and the rivets were stuck on with mastic, not punched through the fabric, she said. You think the red draws attention, I asked, with a certain level of amusement. She nodded matter-of-factly as she looked at a display of quilted silk dresses. Um, you think the aluminum tube top and black leather doesn't, I asked. She grinned then. Well, yeah, probably, but when people see me in red, they think I'm... She paused for a heartbeat before finishing. Someone I'm not. When I'm in black, they leave me alone. 
She looked a little embarrassed, I thought, so I didn't push it. The next booth I saw some of the beefalo rugs and robes that Pip had been talking about. The robes were nice, and the rugs were quite soft. The short fur felt lush against my hand, but when I hefted one of the robes I understood Pip's comment about the mass. It must have weighed ten kilos. The rugs were heavier. Bev raised an eyebrow as she saw me examining the goods. Pip thought these might be good on Marguerite Station, I explained, soft and warm in a cold, hard world. She nodded thoughtfully. Maybe yes, maybe no, she said. Mass is the problem, though, right? I nodded. Yep. We continued our perambulations, and the next turn a wizened old woman sat behind a heavy bench and worked the most amazing patterns into a piece of leather. Bev and I stood with several others, spellbound, as she pierced, punched, pounded, and laced the lovely natural brown leatherwork. Her gnarly-looking fingers moved with an amazing speed and grace. In what seemed like only a few moments, she lifted the leather from her workbench and displayed a finished belt to the crowd's appreciative applause, before hanging it carefully in a long rack with several dozen others. She fished under the bench and brought out another length of supple, creamy brown. The scent of it cut through even the smell of the crowd. I was drawn to the rack of belts and began fingering through them. Bev stood close behind me and admired them as well. "'This is spectacular work,' she said softly. She took one and flexed it several times, and this leather is amazing. The lady behind the bench noticed us looking, but didn't interrupt us. Beverly turned to her and asked, How much? The woman flickered a glance in our direction and smiled. Are you serious or just curious? she asked with a pleasant lilt in her voice. Serious, responded Beverly. Twenty creds each, fifty for three, the old woman said quietly, working a spiderweb pattern into the surface of the new leather on her bench. Bev grunted. "'Interesting, but not that interesting,' she said. Hundred creds for ten. The old woman grinned. "'Child, my husband would beat me if I took so little. You cannot ask that of a frail old woman such as myself, but perhaps I could sell you seven. She continued smoothly working the leather without looking up. Eight, replied Beverly, after a single heartbeat. "'Sold,' the woman replied, as she put the finishing touches on the spiderweb. Looking up, she gave a brief nod in my direction— "'Your boy toy can have the same deal if he likes,' she added, obviously talking to Bev and not me. I blushed. Bev smirked. "'How about it, Ish? You want to buy a new belt?' In the end, Bev and I bought eight belts each. They were exquisite, and weighed less than a kilo total. As we left the booth, I mumbled to Beverly. "'I hope Pip wasn't counting on that mass.' She glanced my way. "'You and Pip working together?' I nodded. "'He's trying to show me the ropes,' I said, but after Darbot, he's starting from scratch again.' "'You mean along with the empty container and the ship's stores deals, right?' she said with a grin. I nodded. "'I know roughly what he's doing there,' I told her, but this kind of thing,' waving my hand around at the flea market, "'is more what I thought the idea of private trading would be like.' She nodded. "'Some of it. Pip seems to have good connections, and he does his homework. I'm more spur of the moment. I'm also full share, so I have a bit more mass to spend, and I can afford to carry stuff a bit before I unload it. Let me know if you get in a bind, Ishmael. I can buy those from you if you need to recover the creds.' Half a kilo isn't going to matter that much in the long run, though. Thanks, I said. That makes me feel a little better. No problem, she said with a grin, chucking me playfully under the chin. I need to look out for my boy toy. We continued our wandering through the flea market, but didn't buy anything else. Beverly spent most of her time looking at various crafted items, clothing, jewelry, and leather goods. She had me try on a leather coat that was to die for. It was a rich dark brown, smooth and supple, lined with black silk. It fastened with polished stainless steel buckles that clipped together cleverly in a kind of loop-and-toggle arrangement. It fit like it was custom-made for me. Unfortunately, it also cost twice what I had and weighed almost three full kilos. 
Bev shrugged. Cost nothing to look, she said. You'll be full share soon, and you won't be so worried about mass. Eventually we both got hungry, thirsty, and tired, so we sauntered down to a little bistro in Level 8 that catered to the flea market trade. They had some hearty sandwiches of thinly sliced and sautéed beefalo, onions, peppers, and cheese, on crusty rolls. We each got one, and I couldn't resist sampling the coffee. Beverly bought a beer, and we rested our tired feet for almost a whole stand before heading back to the ship. When we got back to berthing, I changed into a fresh ship suit and hung the belts in my locker along with my civvies. Beverly stowed her purchases as well, but headed back out with some of the bridge crew for what I suspected would be more like a pub crawl than a shop. I went up to the galley to see what was happening. Cookie and Pip were stowing pallets of Sarabanda dark, and I walked in just in time to help them lock down the last load. I whistled at the quantity. "'That's a lot of coffee,' I said. Pip wiped the sweat off his face with a towel and said, "'You have no idea.' Cookie was consulting his tablet and said, "'That's the last of our trade stores, Pip.' He looked up, smiling. "'These should be very useful.' "'I hope so,' replied Pip. "'If this doesn't work, we're going to be drinking a lot of Sarabanda.' He turned to me and said, "'So how was Liberty?' "'Fun. I went shopping.' Cookie looked up. "'Shopping? For what?' "'Well, nothing really. I ran into Bev at the lock, and she dragged me up to the flea market on level nine. "'We've been there all day, wandering from stall to stall.' "'Bev!' Pip exclaimed. "'Our big bad Beverly frequents flea markets?' "'Hey, she's a good person to go with,' I said. "'Nobody messes with her.' Cookie chuckled. "'I can see where Miss Aerith would be able to provide a security buffer.' "'She dickers pretty well, too,' I said. "'At least I think it was good. I can't haggle for squat.' "'What'd she buy?' Pip asked. "'Belts. Beautiful leather belts.' "'I got some, too.' "'Belts?' Pip asked. I nodded. "'There's this little old lady working them on a bench right there in the flea market. She had a rack of them. She was asking twenty creds each, or three for fifty. Bev got her down to a hundred creds for eight. Pip nodded appreciatively. "'Not bad. Twelve and a half each. But that's a lot of creds for a belt. I shrugged, maybe, but these are gorgeous.' "'You're done here, Pip,' Cookie broke in. "'Why don't you go take your break?' So I took Pip down to my locker and took out the bundle of belts. I spread them on my bunk so Pip could get a good look. He picked up each one, examined it front and back, running the links through his fingers. He flexed them, even smelled them. If you start tasting them, I'm going to make you buy it, I told him half-jokingly. He grinned. This is excellent stuff, he said almost grudgingly. This is beefalo leather, but it's been expertly tanned, and the workmanship on these patterns, well, you just don't see that anymore. Mostly it's punched out by machine. This is real hand-tooled stuff. All of it. I nodded. She was doing the work right there on the bench. He nodded. Yeah, but that's usually just the come-on. Typically, when you take a look at the goods on the racks, you find that those aren't any more hand-tooled than I am. These are the real thing. I shrugged. You say she had a whole rack? Pip asked. I nodded. Probably had a hundred belts on it. All kinds of patterns. Bev and I commented that while some of them were similar, we never did find two alike. None of them had buckles. I shook my head. Now, they're all like this with the snaps and punch work, so you can add your own. Some were a bit longer, some a bit shorter, but they're all about the same width, and every one of them was this gorgeous leather. Pip just stroked the belts for a moment. How much did the eight add to your mass? Half a kilo. Pip nodded. Where was this booth? he asked finally. I told him, and I could see him getting that look in his eye, so I wasn't surprised when he asked, How much mass are you willing to invest? How many creds you got? I checked my allotment accounts. I've got about ten kilos and four hundred creds, I told him. I'm willing to throw half that into the pool. He nodded. Me too. Okay, we have more mass than money. Are you willing to invest some more in belts? I shrugged. Do you think it's worth it? How many can we sell? He grinned. I don't know. It's always a gamble. I don't want to hurt Beth's market, but these, he indicated the belts arrayed on my bunk, are something special. 
be able to buy eight for a hundred in the middle of the trading day. She might be willing to give a better deal late in the day with more cash on the line. If we could buy eighty of them, that would be five kilos, but at ten apiece, that'd be eight hundred creds, and we don't have that kind of cash. I doubt she'd be willing to go below ten creds, even on a bulk deal. Between us, we've got about four hundred creds. If she'll go down to ten, that's forty belts and two and a half kilos. I shrugged. I could follow his logic, but this was all new. That's one thing to speculate idly over what to buy and what to sell. This was actually real creds and real risk. Then I remembered the pallets of Sarabanda Dark down in the pantry, and realized that what had been idle speculation for me had real implications for Pip. I used my tablet and transferred two hundred creds to his account. Go for it, I told him. That evening I went to the holos with Diane Ardell and Gregor Avery from the environmental section. Gregor was a skinny Spec three who had been with the ship for only a stanier, was already looking for a new berth. Oh, I like the Lois well enough, he said, with a kind of whispery voice, but I'd really like to get on one of the big tankers. The crews are smaller and the shares are bigger. We discussed the relative merits of various berths all the way to the theater and back. At one point, Diane opined, Well, I like the Lois because we don't have to be careful just getting into our bunks. Gregor laughed in agreement. I looked puzzled. Snakes? I asked. Snakes? Diane asked back. You don't have to be careful because we don't have snakes aboard? Gregor roared, and Diane blushed. That's one way of putting it, she said tersely. Gregor stepped closer and said, Some vessels have a liberal policy on fraternization, he said. Fraternization? I asked. Then enlightenment hit me. Oh, fraternization, I exclaimed, as in... They nodded. Diane commented, I like men as well as the next girl, but engineering berthing isn't even my fifth choice for romantic interlude. Gregor nodded. Those partitions are thin. I blushed, thinking about Tabitha and her little snorty snores, grateful that there hadn't been the sounds of fraternization as well. I was also grateful that we had made it back to the ship, and we went our separate ways before I had any more opportunity to think about fraternization and Diane. Pip was reading in his bunk when I got there. Hey, how was the show? I shrugged. Nothing to write home about. Change of pace from you and Cookie, but let's just say when they release it on Holocube, it's not one I'll be buying. He nodded and went back to his reading. I was almost asleep when Bev came in from her pub crawl. Hey, boy toy, she greeted me muzzily, but didn't say anything else before falling into a bunk, still fully clothed, and started snoring softly. I could feel Pip looking at me. I glanced over and he mouthed, boy toy, with raised eyebrows. I just groaned, shut off my light, and rolled into my blankets. Thanks for listening to Episode 10 of Quarter Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. The music is from The Lucky Black Cat, a hornpipe in A minor, recorded by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.com/golden. Thank you.